Welcome to the Bioelectronics Podcast by Neurocore. I'm your host, Rick Rowan, and this is where we can hear about how bioelectronics is changing healthcare and providing benefits to both patients and healthcare systems worldwide. Welcome to this week's edition of the Bioelectronics Podcast. We're excited to have two special guests joining myself and James this week. It's Charlie and Adam, the emergency duo, emergency medicine doctors <laughs> who are taking on an incredible adventure uh, crossing the Atlantic, correct? Yep. Yeah. Now, you guys have probably done so much of this. I see you've, you've done a lot of interviews lately. This is, you've probably got a fully structured script, I expect, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. We'll see how we go. Yeah, that's right. We're um, planning this December to row 3,000 miles um, across the Atlantic, so from the Canary Islands to Antigua as a pair, taking part in the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. And we're sponsored by our, our lead sponsor, Silly Spirit Distillery, hoping mm. to get a mixed pair record so hoping to complete it within 42 days. <laughs> so they'll be supplying all of the celebration. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so gonna, yeah, we'll be on the boat for Christmas and New Year's. So I think, yeah, a bit of amazing Iron Gin, Atlantic Strength Gin will definitely go down well. <laughs> we might have to hit them up for some extras too, James. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, your background in emergency medicine, if you don't mind, and then um, perhaps how you got into the transatlantic challenge, as it were. Yeah, sure. So we've been doing emergency medicine now for the last five years. So our careers are slightly different in that we did our kind of normal junior doctor years in the NHS as normal. And we escaped to New Zealand for a year and just loved kind of getting a different aspect of emergency medicine out there and spending a lot more time taking our skills from the emergency department um, to the great outdoors, working at a lot of pre-hospital events. And then we kind of came back when we're about to start the normal training process and decided to do something a little different. So Exeter, which is our local hospital, offered us a three-year master's in extreme medicine as part of our job, um, which we recently finished. And I think it really, the row stemmed up to the back of that. So that was run by World Extreme Medicine and the University of Exeter. And we really got to do a real deep dive into extreme environments and the different physiology of the human body within those environments. And then we really then wanted to put ourselves in that situation. And Charlie kind of heard about the row and then became a bit of a dream for her. And then I got roped in as well. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking and I was reading an interview the other day and thinking about there are so many parallels between, and some of this is an assumption, of course, because I haven't been anywhere near an emergency room since giving up motorcycle racing. (laughs) But um, (laughs) um, there seems to be so many parallels around the environment, not obviously the environment, but the environment of stress reacting to unknowns, um, you know, having to deal with, I suppose, uh, operational emergencies, you know, from the aspects from the emergency room to something like the the crossing, and um, it's 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 probably I suppose one of the reasons why you've uh, particularly in, you know, to this stage excelled in these areas because the 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 type of challenges are familiar. Would would that be right? Absolutely, I'd, I'd agree definitely with that. Um, I think, as you say, emergency medicine, it's fast paced, you're thinking quickly, it's high stress environments, you're having to act 
in a team you've got all those human factor skills that you have to develop and just with the the hours of our shifts as well it's not a nine-to-five job it's chopping and changing and I think that will really set us up well for those two hours on two hours off <laughs> or seven on that on those oars um, trying to get rest where we can and destructive sort of sleep um, patterns and deprivation and like you say reacting in the moment quickly and um, carefully to any um, instance that may be thrown our way. <laughs> Walk us through what a typical day might look like, first in the emergency room <laughs> and second um, from a training perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So I think from an emergency medicine point of view, it's really hard. So I think every day is different. Mm. So we'll, your shifts can start at any time of day and generally they're 10 to 12 hours and you basically just have to see what comes in the door, which is one of the reasons why we love immense medicine is because it's so varied. So from babies that are hours old to 102 year olds um, that have had a fall, literally every day is so different. And that's partly why we love it. Yeah. From a training point of view, we're having to just fit that in really around the shifts. So we're working with a couple of different trainers. Um, one is a guy called Gus from Ocean Ready, who does this bespoke program for us, which is great that we can adapt. So for me, it's a lot of flexibility um, as I'm really not the most flexible person in the world. Um, so lots of stretches, lots of stuff to do with my hips because they really don't move and they need to move a lot for the road. And then Charlie's doing quite a bit of strength work. And then we're increasing, we've got an indoor rower that we're doing a lot of time on kind of structured sessions around three times a week. And now we're kind of more progressing to getting out into the water, spending time on our boat, getting to know her hours and hours on getting some on the water time really hopefully it warms up a little yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. just before the man overboard training yeah. <laughs> yeah with regards to your training obviously you know we came to to meet or neurocore came to to meet you through some of your training and, and recovery uh needs uh, have you have you found the technology beneficial for for your training Absolutely. Really pleasantly surprised, actually. I'm always quite a cautious person and had heard, obviously, about it and looked a bit about through the, the research behind it. And mm -hmm. it's it's been fantastic. It's so nice to have that evidence base behind it, the, the research driven aspects, and then also that kind of closed communication with your customers, getting that feedback from them. Because, mm -hmm. as you say, pain affects people so differently and um, it's it's what we see most commonly in A&E they come in with pain whatever the cause may be and it's mm. so difficult to get something um, that can can treat that um, bespoke to the person that doesn't interact with maybe other medications or other comorbidities that may, they may have. For me personally, I've had recently some major pelvis surgery. So I've been on a long recovery, 18 month recovery from that. And it's been absolutely fantastic sort of from the recovery aspect and then also increasing that strength through the different settings there. Yeah. Um, with regards to the row, a lot of rowers get um, wrist tendonitis from the position mm -hmm. of the hands on the oars constantly. Mm -hmm. um, so we cannot wait to, to take those gloves with us and, and have that as a recovery. Um, and it's so mobile and small, the device, that it's absolutely fantastic because at the end of the day, this is a race. So we don't want, you know, big bulky equipment. We want to keep things as light and, and quick as possible. So it just, it, it's going to be great just sitting in the cabin, getting that recovery in quickly in those two hours off the oars that we have and really maximizing the benefits there. 
and Adam has been using it more for, for strength as well and you've absolutely love it and it's like a little massage I find so after a heavy kind of gym session absolutely love putting it on and it yeah it does feel like your own little personal masseuse but you know from the kind of evidence base that you've got that it's you'll get to seeing those strength gains as well so it's a win-win when you hear about something like bioelectronics you can raise your eyebrows and be like really and obviously our, our clinical training kicks in and we're like right where are the papers who's who's had one of these like what on earth does this thing do what's the physiology going on here Tell me a little bit about your journey of learning that stuff and understanding that stuff, I guess. And, and again, I come at this not from, not from, <laughs> I'm not a shareholder in Neurocore. I'm just hosting the podcast, right? You know, like I am a doc, but I am a doctor too. <laughs> what was that, Rick? I said we work on that, will we? Yeah, we can work on that. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk me through that learning journey for you guys. And, and I suppose just, just coming at bioelectronics in general as, yeah. as clinicians. So I think uh, I think we approached it with a really healthy dose of scepticism. Mm. Um, and initially, I think I've seen some patients kind of use it, but I didn't have a lot of experience with it, especially from an emergency medicine point of view. Um, I think if if someone had told me that they, prior to looking into NeuroCore, I think if someone had told me that they found this device and they were um, loving it, I think I would be sceptical and probably think there was a big placebo effect. Yeah. Um, and then, so when we were kind of originally looking for a partner for this aspect of things, we started looking at some of the papers that are referenced on Neurocore's website mm. um, and really breaking down the different kind of settings from the peripheral nerve stimulation, the microcurrents I've never heard of prior to looking into Neurocore. And I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and I think it's just really interesting in that we're so limited from an emergency medicine point of view. You feel stuck in your rut from this WHO analgesic ladder all the time that I never feel like I've got anything I can offer apart from some drugs that come with a whole host of massive side effects. Yeah, We often end up giving more drugs to deal with that and you in this vicious spiral. So I think it's so exciting from our point of view, from a wider picture, that I would love to see these sort of things adopted more in an emergency department point of view because there are so many things that we just can't get on top of and help. Yeah. That is a big thing, especially that we're seeing more and more. And I just feel so helpless with people because we've really got nothing to yeah. offer from a medication point of view that does that cuts the mustard. I think jumping in there as well, what I'd say is, is like uh, the world that we live in predominantly is an instant world, isn't it? Everything happens yeah. at the touch of the button. Well, the human body is so complex. You can't press a button and expect things to heal and, you know, get better instantly. However, <laughs> putting this device on, you know, within five minutes, some my aches and pains have gone from, from mm. my, my hip area. And I was absolutely astounded with that because, you know, general pain relief doesn't work on me that quickly. Um, so, yeah, but it's fantastic from that point of view that you do get that sort of instantaneous effect, even if it's mild at first and then just develops as you use it more and more. And that's brilliant to see because I think a lot of people are so used to that that, that then when you give them a tablet and it takes forever, they're just not on board with it. And that's when you get that yeah. lack of kind of coherence with with medication and yeah. like, taking things interesting thing for me i mean i don't know if you guys did pain clinics when you rotated through anesthetics but like i've i did pain clinics and it was an interesting place where those clinicians those physicians the pain physicians 
do you have this acceptance that pain is beyond the physical pain is beyond merely the root cause that you think physically there can be psychological elements that there's the component there's all sorts of components that come to it which is why all the different medications weirdly work and weirdly don't and all these different things acupuncture is tried and used in pain clinics where again most clinicians you like between you and i would just be like what like what are you doing that for like there's there's, there's so much more open-mindedness in, in a pain clinic which i think is really interesting but on the flip side to that, when you talk about bioelectronics implanted, there are devices by like Abbott and, and even like Boston Scientific, like they're putting these things in the spine and blocking pain through the spine with electricity. And nobody in the medical world really bats an eyelid at that. But obviously we're talking about it transcutaneously here and all, and you know, that's where the skepticism can come in. It's it's strange and it's interesting, but I think that's obviously where the delta is it's where the difference is and i think that's where obviously like rick and the guys in the record are obviously pushing through and, and seeing all the results as well as you guys feeling the results i guess yeah i mean what tends to happen too is funny you mentioned that charlie because you start to sort of just get this subconscious knowledge around where to place it what intensity you want what mode you feel is going to work and the more that you use it the more that intuition sort of kicks in without you even you know, realizing it. And, you know, what you've got now is our obviously first generation of product. And just on that note, by the way, the um, water rating is not submersed. Level. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of clip lock, lock bags maybe <laughs> next gen we'll see <laughs> but the next generation of, of product will give you uh, more choice and then based off of what you tend to use as a selection process for for your own needs the product will start or the technology will start to adapt for you as an individual um you know a bit a bit like your your netflix or your spotify um selection and then this, the second part of that which may be for your next challenge uh, in a year or so uh, we'll start to give you the biological feedback and, and actually create a, a treatment loop that is is proactive out of interest guys you've talked about roughly how, how you use it in, in recovering things i mean have you used it more for recovery any kind of acute pain any kind of chronic pain stuff like where have you used it where have you found that it's useful so I've used it mostly after uh, weight sessions and sessions on the erg. Okay. Because I'm not particularly flexible, I get pain in my lower back and yeah. um, in my thoracic spine just because I'm overcompensating by the lack of flexibility in my hips by arching my back. So I put it on almost straight away and I just get that really quick relief. And then uh, having that added benefit of knowing that that's also helping me from that strength point of view. Um, so I've been predominantly using it post-workout um, mm. Yours is slightly different, aren't you? Yeah, so that, but also, um, as I said, um, after the pelvis operation, everything on my right side is a little bit weaker. So just catching up there. So predominantly put it on that side in order to gain strength. And also um, after a long shift on my feet all day, I do get a bit more sore there. I think just where I've got less gluteal activation. So to for a recovery after shift and then also after workouts, I've noticed that it definitely um, don't feel as, as much DOMS, you know, in the following few days which was surprising actually a really nice surprise <laughs> why do you guys think that obviously your clinicians you're going to think about this a little bit right in terms of like what you think is going on from a physiology perspective rick's definitely going to have a view but what do what do you think is going on that gives you that relief i think i think part of it is it will reduce 
I'm sure that there is this degree of um, that microinflammation that you don't necessarily yeah. see. I'm sure plays a big part in when you're breaking down those muscles and stretching and tearing them. So by these electric currents, just reducing that, I'm sure makes a difference in that side of things. And I think it's probably just related to those electric pathways that we don't really kind of fully have our heads yeah. around how they work. And I'm sure it's just interrupting those signals, whether it being the kind of afferent or efferent pathway, yeah. I'm sure it's related to that. Rick, what's your view? Uh, no, uh, Adam's perspective is in line. It, <laughs> there, I mean, there's a, a complex and, you know, we don't fully understand it. It's, you know, science is still developing technology. The, the simple answer is there are multiple actions at play and they vary from individual depending on, you know, what the circumstances are. But your point about microinflammation is absolutely correct. Improvement in circulation, which is a, a big one, particularly for injury sites. In your case, and I have similar issues to yourself Adam only I'm probably about twice your age but um is it, w- w- what certain parameters or certain stimulation parameters are good for is release of spasming muscle and it might not be you know extreme spasm it's just tightness yeah. and um there's certain parameters and pulse bits which are very which are very effective at that and similarly you know, whenever you're training hard and, you know, you guys would know these as, as athletes is that if you don't do anything after hard training, DOMS is at its worst. Yeah. You know, if you're doing light recovery, uh, warm downs next day, post a hard session, then that's sort of the optimal for it. And, you know, mechanically the device can certainly help in that regard. And then of course, you know, we could get into microgram, we'd be here for a couple of hours um, <laughs> through all the different mechanisms. But, but no, you, you, your observations, I think are spot on. Yeah. The microcurrent I think is fascinating. I think that's the, th- that's the one thing I think if, if someone had told me about that without me looking into it, I would think it was absolute pseudoscience. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd be like nodding my head politely like, Oh yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then having looked at it a bit more, yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating. We've actually produced a, a, a literature review, which we're uh, looking at how we might publish. It's because the reason we produced it is we couldn't find one ourselves, probably, you know, um, you know, similar to your original observation. But we're happy to share that with you. If, you. if you want to look into a bit further and some of the most recent papers that we've discovered, including some that we are writing ourselves now, because it is, it is a, a fascinating area and one that... Once you sort of get your head around the mechanisms or potential mechanisms, it is. It's entirely fascinating. I mean, we're infatuated, obviously, but um, yeah, it's incredible stuff. How is training going? I mean, December it is, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's coming up fast. Um, so it, it's going well. Um, I think, do you know what? Working in a pandemic, I think um, probably highlights kind of the the mental challenge in the training <laughs> there. I think um that yeah that, that's sorted us out from a um mental side of it. But um yeah no, the f- physical side is going it's slow and steady. I think our main thing is what I, I guess what I'm most scared about was injury prevention. I didn't want to go hard on my training and then get an injury just beforehand. So mm-hmm. um yeah we've been doing it um steadily and carefully um with bespoke training programs. Um, like you say the weather's heating up a bit. We're um looking forward to get out 
a lot more on the water now um, and just go through not just the rowing aspects but knowing every little inch of that boat um, so we know how to fix anything electrical mechanical because salt water and, and those things break don't they <laughs> so um, yeah um, it, it's going well it's, it's nice to have a focus really um, aside from work to keep us going I think it's been a challenging time for everyone so it's it's nice to to look forward to something and then have the other aspect obviously we, we are doing this for charity so pushing on with trying to fundraise and and support some charities that are really close to our hearts with it mm-hmm. can i ask a really stupid question are you literally on your own from the canary islands to antigua literally there's no boat following you there's no there's no one that's just you're not going to pass any shipping routes or someone's going to check in Yes, yeah, so it's a really good question. So it, we're doing it as part of a race. So it's the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. So I think there's 38 teams in total in our race. Right. I think it's quite rare for the end of the boat period in the time. There are two vessels as part of the race that go up and down the fleet. So right. it's an assisted row. So they're not really there to support you, but there is a kind of degree of they keep kind of keeping an eye. But in theory, if there was an emergency, they can be kind of four or five days away. So you you wow. need to be, to be looking after yourselves for that period of time. And then and what are the kind of the, the top and what are the top two emergencies that you are just like, we absolutely have to plan for these two things. Yeah. So I think the big things have been um, water messing with electronics and causing fires on board. So teams have had been evacuated for that before or a big pitch roll in stormy conditions and it just destroys everything and then you're evacuating. And then Marlin attacks is probably the biggest thing. <laughs> So that's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think in in all the years that it's run, I think there was one or two Marlin attacks, and then in the race that's just gone, there was three yeah. in the same race. Wow. Um, so there, I think the little fish get attracted to the boat, and then the Marlins get stuck in this feeding frenzy on those little fish, and end up piercing the whole. I was going to say they would literally spear the whole thing, yeah. wouldn't they? The so, yeah. three of the teams this year had to like get in the water with putty trying to fill this hole and yeah and these boats weigh and i think they, they weigh a ton and the one of the marlin attacks knocked the boat 45 degrees in the water when it hit it it's just yeah absolutely staggering good luck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a horror movie <laughs> yeah so wound, the wound healing aspect of the miracle <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, an aspect of this row, you're going to be undertaking research during this challenge, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, well, I'm very interested in looking at the differences between males and females in ultra endurance events. Um, specifically the physiology that I've done a bit of studying with through the Masters last year Mm -hmm. Um, but also the psychology so I think this this challenge is going to be about 80% a mental challenge so Adam and I will be doing our own um, research using ourselves as guinea pigs and looking at body composition before and after the race because it seems that men overall lose more mass in, in general and that mass tends to be muscle mass whereas females you lose more fat percentage um, in these ultra events which might make them more compatible with ultra 
events. Um, so just, yeah, looking at that and then also the psychological aspects, looking at um, profile of mood states and rate of perceived um, effort during the race and see how that changes before, after. And then I guess once we finished in, in those few weeks after as well, because you always hear of that kind of post-deployment blues aspect and how you kind of get back into society having been isolated for that amount of time with one other person and um, so it'll be really interesting there's not much data out there and the data that is out there is usually done in like a laboratory confinement trying to mimic the event um, which obviously isn't quite like it is when you're you doing things real time so mm. it's um more of a kind of feasibility study I know the numbers are small but it's just seeing if it's feasible to do this and then build on it in future years to get this massive database of the changes, if there are some, and the trends that we see between males and females. Yeah, sounds fascinating. Certainly, it's a, you've, you've got the environment for, for the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also with things like um, space travel and stuff like that, well, mm. the, the, at one point, I think the nearest person we are um, to mid-Atlantic is someone in space. So um, it's so isolated. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how we both interact in that environment and how our mood changes and, and things like that. So really looking forward to seeing what, what comes out of it. Any final thoughts or comments? I think just saying um, that we're so grateful for everyone that's supported us so far and um, obviously if people are interested in our journey, whether that's following us on social media at emergency underscore duo or checking us out on our website, website www.emergencyduo.com um, and if people want to get on board with us is um, either, you know, just following us by watching us being tracked across on the app the YB Races app or supporting us or our charities, um, then that would be fantastic. And, um, yeah, thank you for, for having us, really. Do you, do you want people to support marlin fishing? If there's any Kevlar companies out there, that would be great. Look, it's been, it's been wonderful to talk to you. It's incredible, this uh, challenge that you're taking on. <laughs> um, uh, you know, admirable at the same time. I wish you both the best of luck. Thank you. Thank Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Bioelectronics Podcast by NeuroCore and for making it to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. We'd much appreciate it. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest bioelectronic content.